The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. But Jesus said, But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Parenting is a near impossible juggling act, I've come to find. And most recently, it's that tension, right, that you feel as a parent where you want and you strive for your kids to be independent, and yet at the same time, you lament as they gain that independence. We're seeing this in our own house, right? The twins are starting to read now. And that literally means that I no longer have to translate the world for them. They don't need me to do that. They can read as they like, and and now they're reading to me. They're going to choose the books that they want to read and get excited about that process. And as a parent, it's wonderful. They're independent. But at the same time, I miss that sort of connection that we have, right? That ability to show them or to be the giver of knowledge. So as a parent then, it means that the way that we parent is changing. I have to recognize and we have to come to terms with the fact that they're going to start making their own decisions, right? Sent into the world to do things according to their own way. And my job, my job is to try to equip them to do that well. to, To give them the means by which they can make good decisions, where they can make those decisions based on whatever wisdom I'm able to offer. And so that's the key, right, is to offer that really important wisdom, right? Like, don't tug on Superman's cape or or don't spit in the wind. Don't pull the mask off that old Lone Ranger and don't mess around with Jim, right? Like, the, the things that we need to know in our life, right, those important things that Jim Croce beat into me as a child, these are the things our kids need to know. And it's by using those things that they're going to be able to apply to daily life and make the best decisions they can. Today happens to be one of those things. It's the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This rule isn't exclusive to Jesus as it turns out. It's not even exclusive to Christianity. Some sort of form of this is found in most major world religions. It even transcends religion into the realm of philosophy. 
The Greek philosophers had various tellings of this very same idiom, as did Confucius before them. This idea of treating others like we want to be treated is so basic that we sometimes don't even realize we're teaching it. Like when I pull the kids close and say, well, how would you like it if he did that to you? That's teaching this idea, right? To treat others how you would like to be treated. And as familiar as this is, or perhaps because it is so familiar, I think we sometimes lose sight of how difficult it is to actually live into it. How impossible the love and forgiveness and mercy is that stands at its foundation. Jesus today is continuing his sermon on the plain. He's still talking to that group of people, at least we're told those that are still listening to him. And it's this sermon filled with those blessings and woes, the blessings and warnings to align one's life with that of his own. And the message today at its base level is very simple. Love. Now what's not so simple is trying to figure out who we should be loving or what that love looks like. You see, it's easy for me to love my kids. I don't always like what they do, but I love them. And you want to know why? Because they look just like me. And I think I'm pretty lovable. Therefore, they are lovable, right? It's a simple equation, right? We all feel that way about certain people in our lives. I don't have to think. I just love them. Jesus says, well, who cares? Anyone can do that. You want a cookie? Who cares? Anyone can love lovable people. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to love those who are aren't lovable. And he goes as far as to give us a few examples of who may populate that group for us. Perhaps our enemies, those who who hate us, curse us, or abuse us, to name a few. He says, these, these are the people I'm going to challenge you to love now. And it's interesting, because now our response isn't necessarily directly connected to the way others treat us, right? Because regardless of how we're treated, we are now called to love others. In other words, this isn't necessarily a tit-for-tat situation anymore. And he gives concrete examples of what it looks like to give this kind of a love. He says, if you're slapped, give the other cheek. If someone asks for your coat, give them your shirt too. Give charitably to those who ask from you. And if this sounds difficult, you're right. Some days it's nearly impossible. And this doesn't even scratch the surface of the next thing, the whole forgiveness part, right? You see, as a pastor, I'm pretty professional when it comes to forgiving. I went to seminary to learn how to do that, right? And as good as I think I am at forgiving, it is not easy. Forgiving is hard. Not just forgiving other people, but sometimes forgiving myself, I am the kind of person who will sometimes stay up late at night and stare at the ceiling and think back to that moment like seven years ago when I was in this, this, this place and someone went to go shake my hand and I went in for a hug and there was that awkward in between so I didn't know what to do so I like grabbed their shoulders and just kind of shook them because I wasn't sure. Yeah, I haven't forgiven myself for that, right? Like we do this to ourselves. So if I struggle with forgiving myself, how am I supposed to forgive others, let alone others who I don't want to forgive? And yet, from time to time, we see incredibly powerful examples of what this kind of forgiveness can look like. Take, for example, Terry Roberts. Her son, in October of 2006, 
went into an Amish school and shot 10 children, five of whom died as a result of that violence. But what's interesting is to read articles about the response by that Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. To hear how they responded is truly remarkable. They not only forgave her son, but forged an ongoing relationship with his family, including his mother. And Terry describes how terrified she was to show up in that community after being invited to come. And her response was this, that their love just emanated from them. This is a remarkable story of forgiving one's enemies, of forgiving someone who did great harm. But so often in this world, it's these stories that are lifted up in the news because they are newsworthy. Why? Because they are outliers. So the question for us is then, how do we do this in our daily lives? How do we make this part of our daily life? And I think it starts with acting not how others treat us, but acting how God has already treated us. To be merciful as your Father has been merciful to you, Jesus says today. And God's mercy has been quite apparent in his ministry so far. In these powerful acts of love and forgiveness, in the healing and casting out of demons, even in his teachings, he has shown what this powerful love can look like. And the people he's speaking to at this point, I remind you, have already been blessed. These people are blessed and therefore it has transformed their actions in this world from compliance into acts of resistance. When they are willing to turn the other cheek, they're not accepting abuse or oppression, but instead are non-cooperative with the ways of evil in this world. The abundance of love in God's kingdom is so great that it allows them to break the cycle of hatred that defines this earthly kingdom. Because they're willing to trust that God's abundance is so great that they will receive or have already received what they need and don't have to worry about what others may give them. And this is a powerful, powerful thing. And it stands at the center of a sermon preached by Dr. Martin Luther King entitled, Loving Your Enemies. And this is what Dr. King had to say. It's not only necessary to know how to go about loving your enemies, but also to go down into the question of why we should love our enemies. I think the first reason we should love our enemies, and I think this is at the very center of Jesus' thinking, is this. The hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. If I hit you, and you hit me, and I hit you back, and you hit me back, and go on, you see that goes on ad infinitum. It just never ends. Somewhere, somebody must have a little sense, and that's the strong person. The strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate, the chain of evil, and that is the tragedy of hate, that it doesn't cut it off. It only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. Somebody must have religion enough and morality enough to cut it off and inject within the very structure of the universe that very strong and very powerful element of love. The kingdom of God, 
that Jesus paints throughout this Sermon on the Plain is one where God's children find strength in love and power in forgiveness. And the truth is this. We can experience this kingdom now. But it's going to require us to do something that goes against every fiber of our bodies. It means that we're going to have to choose to love the unlovable. To be able to forgive as Christ has first forgiven us. And the truth of the matter is this. I'm terrible at that. And I don't want to assume the same is for you, but we're going to fall short of that standard. But when we do, I think it's important that we take a step back and remind ourselves of this, that regardless of whether or not we're successful at always loving and forgiving others, we have to first be reminded that God has loved and forgiven you first. And then, and only then, in light of God's mercy, can we be transformed and therefore transform the hatred of the world around us into something that builds up the kingdom of God we aspire to experience. So thanks be to God for putting before us this way of living, even if it is impossible. Amen.